Howdy and welcome to the 10-week Bible study. This is week four, day five of our study of Joshua. I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and today we're talking about Joshua 10, 28 through 43. Well, welcome back to the 10-week Bible study again. I'm your host, Darren Hibbs. Would you join me as we pray before we start today? Lord, open our eyes and our ears to hear what your word has to say. We want to meet and encounter and know the living word through your written word, God. Touch us. Make them one in our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With that, let's jump into God's word. I'll be reading today from the NIV. This is Joshua 10, starting in verse 28. That day Joshua took Makeda. He put the city and its king to the sword and totally destroyed everyone in it. He left no survivors. He did to the king of Makeda as he had done to the king of Jericho. Then Joshua and all Israel with him moved on from Makeda and attacked to Libna and attacked it. The Lord also gave that city and its king into Israel's hand. <clears throat> The city and everyone in it, Joshua put to the sword. He left no survivors there, and he did to its king as he had done to the king of Jericho. And then Joshua and all Israel with him moved on from Libna to Lachish. He took up positions against it and attacked it. The Lord gave Lachish into Israel's hand, and Joshua took it on the second day. The city and everyone in it he put to the sword as he had done to Libna. Meanwhile, Horam, king of Gezer, had come up to help Lachish, but Joshua defeated him and his army until no survivors were left. Then Joshua and all Israel with him moved on from Lachish to Eglon. They took up positions against it and attacked it. All right, I want to pause right there because there's several things, several things going on there, and I, I really want to take time to address them because I think they're really important. I kind of breezed through that, but there, there really is just so much... Uh, so much happening there. Um, Joshua is just taking city, walled city after walled city after walled city. And again, there's not that many people left in them. But again, this issue of you got a walled city for a reason, and it's so you can have archers and people to dump hot oil and all of the things you know you've seen from whatever medieval movies. That's the point of the walled city is that you have the archers and you have a defensible position and yet Joshua just takes them boom, 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 right? This is just happening one after the other on this whole campaign. How is he doing it? And it's as if, right? Again, the, the, we're, we're going to make some assumptions as we're leading up to the extra biblical discussion I want to have in week five but it's as if there's no archers. It's as if there is nothing there to defend a walled city. The walled city is designed. The whole intention is it is designed to be defended by archers. And it's like they're not there. Very, very curious. Very interesting. And again, the army has been decimated along the way. But still, where are the archers? Where on earth are they? Um... We've attacked several of these cities, and, and it's telling us which ones he's taken. I'm going to jump to the map again. As always, you're probably tired of me saying this, but 
10weekbible.com slash Joshua, you can find this. We've gone from Gilgal to Gibeon, from Gibeon to Beth Horon, down to the Ejelon Valley, to Ezekah, to Makeda. After he kills the kings there, he goes to Libna, uh, Lachish, and then we're going to go on down to Eglon. Hebron and Jerusalem are conspicuously lacking from this, and we're going to keep reading, and they're going to actually end at... Uh, at, at Debir, which is interesting because the, the king of Eglon, his name was Debir, and then there's going to be another town called Debir. Some people um, wonder about some of these things, but we're going to take the Bible at its word. I think mainly because I don't think anyone's found Debir, and so some people will say, you know, oh, well, you know, just the writer here knew so little in reality that they got the name of the city confused with a person. Um, but, uh, we're, we're going to take the Bible at its word because we're going to see that it's actually right every single time. Uh, and the people who desperately want it to be wrong when it comes to archeology span and all of these other things, um, if, if they were honest, they would be left holding the bag every single time. The other thing that I want to mention back to the map here is Gezer. The king of Gezer comes down and attacks Joshua and everyone at uh, Lachish. Excuse me, I wrote down Eglon. He didn't do uh, Eglon. He, he came down to uh, Lachish, which is right here, and he takes up positions there to fight Joshua, and Joshua gives him a pounding. This king of Gezer and the new king of Jerusalem, this is going to come up in our discussions. I find, again, this very fascinating. I'm just laying the groundwork uh, hopefully wetting your palate to make sure that you join us for uh, week five, episode five, week five, day five. If you are not a YouTube watcher, if you're a podcast listener, I encourage you to listen to that, but I would also encourage you to watch that episode on YouTube. Uh, I've got some things that I can present uh in video format that I just can't really do very well over the podcast. I think it'll be interesting to listen to, but I think it'll be far more fascinating to see. And so I want to be able to make that a multimedia presentation like we're doing here with the maps. So I encourage you, if you can carve out some time to watch week five, episode five, when it comes to all of this, because I'm going to tie all of these things that we're seeing in this campaign and in some subsequent ones all together. And it's going to paint, I think, a very cool, very fascinating picture of what's going on from more than just the perspective of the Bible. Because as we're reading this, we have to understand that the perspective we're getting is the perspective of the Israelites, the perspective of God's people, of Joshua and the Israelites. We're not getting the perspective of the Canaanite kings and everything else in this, you know, ancient Near East world. And so when we see it all together, I think it's going to make a lot of sense. And I think there's going to be several, oh my goodness, no way kind of aha moments I know there have been for me. So that's why I'm promoting uh, week five, episode five so much. When we get there, um, I'm really, I'm really excited about it. And it'll probably be a little bit longer of an episode just because everything I've, I've got to put into it. All right. Verse 34. Then Joshua and all Israel with him moved from, from Lachish to Eglon. They took up possessions, positions against it and attacked it. 
They captured it the same day and put it to the sword and totally destroyed everyone in it, just as they had done to Lachish. Now, remember going back so many people, and I mean so many pastors nowadays, they want to distance themselves from the Old Testament because of passages like this, because they're taking the city and they're killing everyone. And, and, and essentially, ostensibly, at the command of the Lord, they're killing everyone. This, it's not like they're doing this and God's not really okay with it. No, God is all in on this, right? This was the plan from God. And so people have a, a tremendous problem with this. And, and I, can, I can understand people's problem with it if you read this in a vacuum, if you're just reading this with no context around it, right? And I'm not talking about reading the verses before or after. I'm talking about understanding the context over a 400-year period, the whole narrative of, of the Old Testament up to this point. That's the context I'm talking about. And the Lord told Abraham, I'm going to give you this land, but I can't give it to you yet. I can't give it to you for another 400 years because the sins of the Amorites, these Canaanite people, their sins are not, what he says, complete. They're not fulfilled. They're not is they're not bad enough for me to give you the land yet, but they are going to be. And I always go back to Sodom and Gomorrah. The Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, not because he just, you know, hates whoever was there or whatever. He says to Abraham, I'm going to destroy these people. And it's almost as, as if Sodom and Gomorrah is this down payment of what he's going to do to the land of the rest of the land of Canaan, because Sodom and Gomorrah had already become as bad as what the Canaanites were going to become. And the reason that the Lord told us he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah is because of the cries of the oppressed people had reached God's ears. All the people in the surrounding villages and surrounding areas are like, God, save us from these wicked people. Save us from these wicked people. God says the cries against them are great. So he sends two angels to verify. He doesn't need that verification, but he sends them anyway to verify how bad and how wicked they are. And they're so wicked, they're willing to take advantage in the most debased way of two angels. Imagine what they did to all of the people in the surrounding villages and areas who had to come into Sodom and Gomorrah and, and do trade, you know, sell their, their vegetables and, and whatever else. Imagine having to be some of these people around there. So God is actually rescuing the land and rescuing the people from the leaders and from the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah because they were so wicked. And so the Lord is doing the exact same thing here. So if we read this in a vacuum, we just read these passages like, holy cow, why would God tell them to do that? Well, there's an answer to that if we're willing to look for it. And it's that God is saying the people of Canaan, they're not bad enough yet, but they're going, I, I know the future, they're going to be as bad as the people of Sodom. They really are. And that's when I'll give you the land. That's when I will send your people, your descendants in and give them this land that you're sitting on right now. But until then, I can't, I can't give it to you. I can't give it to you because they don't deserve to be destroyed. The Lord is just in that way. He would not destroy the people when their sin hadn't been like fulfilled and overflowing to where the land itself is crying out for freedom from the wickedness and depravity that's there. 
and the Canaanites, they were wicked and depraved. We will see that more and more as we read the Old Testament. They sacrificed their children on a regular basis to their gods. They sacrifice innocence to their gods. This is horrific. But this is detestable to the Lord and to anyone who has any sensibilities. But this is this is detestable to anyone. Can you imagine taking your 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 children and sacrificing them to please your gods? This is the kind, this is just one of the things that's going on, and the Lord is is wiping them out because of that. So I always like to bring us back and ground us in the reason why. Because there's a stated reason why the Lord is doing this. People see this and they read this and, and they, I think, inauthentically sometimes, not always, but sometimes they inauthentically say, you know, why would the Lord do this? And they're not really interested in the answer. What they really want is they want to impugn the name of the Lord because he's doing this and say, why would the Lord do this? This is horrible. This is terrible what the Lord's doing. It's actually kind to all of the people in the surrounding areas, what the Lord is doing to these people because they were that wicked. They were so wicked that they deserved exactly this. And think about the worst things that someone could do to your children and what you would want done to them in, in return. And that's what's going on here. That is, that is what is going on here. That is the kind of justice that's taking place. It's that level of wickedness, that level of depravity. Verse 36. Then Joshua and all Israel with him went up from Eglon to Hebron and attacked it. They took the city and put it to the sword together with its king, its villages, and everyone in it. They left no survivors, just as Eglon, they totally destroyed everyone. And I was incorrect. I'm sorry. I said that Hebron, they didn't attack. They did attack Hebron, took Hebron. They didn't attack uh, Jerusalem. Um, all right, back to, uh, back to this. Verse 38. Then Joshua and all Israel with him turned around and attacked Debir. They took the city, its king, and its villages and put them to the sword. Everyone in it, they totally destroyed. They left no survivors. They did to Debir and its king as they had done to Libna and to its king and to Hebron. So Joshua, again, and another thing I want to point out here is, is Joshua's pattern as he's going to these cities, he takes the king and he puts him on a pike at the city gate. That's an interesting, uh, an interesting little tidbit to point out. In every city, Joshua kills the king and then uh, exposes his body for public shame or recognition or whatever on a pike at the city gate. That is an important detail we need to remember. Verse 40. So Joshua subdued the whole region, including the hill country, the Negev, the western foothills, and the mountain slopes, together with all their kings. He left no survivors. He totally destroyed all who breathed, just as the Lord, the God of Israel, had commanded. Verse 41, Joshua subdued them from Kadesh Barnea to Gaza and from the whole region of Goshen to Gibeon. All these kings and their lands Joshua conquered in one campaign because the Lord, the God of Israel, fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned with all Israel to the camp at Gilgal. Um, so there's some debate over actually whether or not this was the long day campaign or if this was the long day, went back to Gilgal, then came and fought. Um, it's my opinion that this was the long day campaign, right? This was, they had one long day, but then they had um, the campaign after that. Um, so 
the geography here, going back to the map, tellmebible.com slash Joshua. This is the region that it's talking about. This is the Goshen that most people believe we're talking about here. So saying in this campaign, Joshua subdued this entire area right here. The, the whole southern part of Israel, what we known as, as Judah later on, uh, Joshua subdued all of that. Now, we know that he didn't take Gezer. We know, that, I mean, it tells us that the king of Gezer came down and attacked uh, Lachish. Yeah, it was Lachish. Um, but then went home. Like the king goes back. The king uh, survives. This people survive. I mean, like they get they get routed, but they actually go home. And Joshua doesn't attack Gezer. He doesn't take the city of Gezer, and he doesn't take the city of Jerusalem, even though he'd killed the king. Those are important details. Again, I'm kind of laying the groundwork for all the things we're going to talk about. All of these little details, they're super important for what we're going to talk about. Jerusalem, the king dies, but the, the city isn't taken. Gezer, the king, it doesn't tell us that he kills the king. Now, maybe the king died, but it doesn't tell us that. So the king doesn't die, as far as we know, and he doesn't take the city of Gezer. But all the rest of these, he does. Again, I'm just leaving that out there for right now. I'm going to refer back to that in a couple of weeks for, again, I sound like a broken record here, I'm sure, but I really want you to make it a point to, to show up for week five, day five of the study of Joshua on YouTube because I think it's going to be um, a really fascinating what I can bring together from the biblical texts, from archaeology, from extra biblical texts and sources that we have and have had for quite some time. I think it's super fascinating. For the 10-week Bible study, I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and I can't wait to see you next time. Hey, thanks for tuning into the 10-week Bible study podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, would you consider leaving a review for it on your podcast app of choice? It really helps other people find out about this podcast, and my heart is for people to fall in love with God's Word. Thank you.